Welcome, savvy investor, to Skyline Views. Welcome to another episode of Skyline Views. I'm Chris Mills. My guest today is Bryce Sinclair. He went from zero units to retired in about three years. So Bryce, welcome. We are uh, anxious to hear your story. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So why don't we just dive right in? Um, if you can give us a little bit of your background and uh, tell us how you got started. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I spent 10 years in the army and about two years before I got out, um, this was back in 2017, I had just sold my first house I ever bought. And I bought it as a foreclosure. Um, I used a 5.5 arm on it. And um, I made a, quite a bit of money when I sold it. I actually cleared like 40,000. Um, and for me being in the army, that was a substantial amount of money to come into. Um, so I knew I wanted to do something with it besides go out and buy a brand new car. Uh, so I started Googling real estate, um, hopped on forums, listened to podcasts like your own, and finally started to dig into it and uh, pulled the trigger in October of 17 and bought uh, my first investment property. And it was a, a really small little cabin out in the Smokies. Um, and I, turned it into a short-term rental, turned it into an Airbnb. And then, um, and that's what kind of started it. So it was just, you know, selling a, selling a foreclosure I'd bought, I was living in and uh, cleared quite a bit and then turned around and decided I wanted to invest that money into something. And I thought real estate was going to be the way to do it. So I did more of like an active investment and I self-managed my Airbnbs um, just to get the big, biggest bang for your buck, you know, for your return. So. Yeah. Very, very good. So, uh, did you, as you scaled, um, did you have a plan in mind or were you just kind of still exploring? So I had a plan in mind. I had, I had wanted to offset my military income because I knew that I was going to be getting out of the army. And I knew that that guaranteed first and the 15th paycheck were no longer going to be there when I got out. Um, I knew that also that I necessarily didn't want to necessarily go into like a W-2 style job or a salary job. I kind of wanted to work for myself. And knowing that being a 1099 employee, um, I needed to have a little bit of length as far as my, um, my income revenue, like to show that. So when I go to try to get a loan that I, oh, okay, I've been doing this job. You know, they take two years of your 1099 earned income. So that's when I went ahead and got my real estate license as well. So I am still an active licensed agent in the state of Tennessee. I kept my license active, active even after I, you know, uh, quote unquote retired and um, still do real estate transactions. But I wanted, to, so I started, I guess, really just by wanting to offset my military income, you know, and I saw real estate investing and, you know, that cash flow as the way to do that. So tell us about uh, some of those first few deals. You know, were you, taking some lumps and, and was it a rocky road or, you know, did you recruit people to kind of help you and hold your hand through those first few deals and, and what kind of deals were they? Yeah. So the first deal that, that Airbnb, I was definitely terrified. Um, I had someone helping me as a co-host on Airbnb. Um, it was the, at the time, the real estate agent who had sold me the property, she, she owned five cabins herself and her husband helped out kind of her clients, you know, get started with Airbnb. So he, for two weeks, 
uh, co-hosted with me and helped me show me the ropes of Airbnb and kind of like the platform and everything. Um, I decided to use Airbnb as my sole platform for what they charge as a host. It's, it's really competitive. VRBO charges a little bit more and then there's a couple other different apps out there, but, and you can also make your own website even, you know, so there's a lot of different ways to do it. Personally, for me, still being active duty, still having a full-time job, I needed the simplicity of a platform that was already in place. So Airbnb was what I went with. Um, and I knew someone that obviously could teach me the platform. So that kind of was like the stepping stone for that first investment. And then what I did was I continuously just took that money and that first investment, I just paid cash for it. It was a small little cabin. It was $71,000 and it was making pretty good like return on my money. Um, so I just kept saving that back and I wrote a letter to my neighbor. Um, I just pulled up the tax ID, uh, found that he lived obviously not in the cabin. So it was, it was a vacation home for him or whatever. I walked up his driveway before and saw that it looks like no one had been there for a really long time, you know, three, four, five years plus. Um, wow. The property was pretty dilapidated. So I just wrote him a really nice handwritten letter, said, hey, I'm your neighbor. I kind of introduced myself as I'm new to the neighborhood. I just bought the cabin next to you. If you need anything, let me know. If you're ever interested in selling as well, I'd really like to purchase your cabin. So kind of prefaced it with that. Sure. So three months later, I get a phone call and uh, he's like, hey, I've had your note on my fridge. Well, my wife passed away two years ago and we'd actually be willing to sell. Mm -hmm. So thankfully at that time, I had already gotten my license. So I told him, hey, I'll take care of the entire transaction and I'll buy your cabin. So I, as I was continuously saving up that, you know, that money from the one cabin, I used that and I purchased my neighbor's cabin. Now, when I purchased it, it was rough. So I started just contacting, uh, like I had a set of cleaners, right? So I asked the cleaners, Hey, do you know a good contractor? And then I asked my plumber, Hey, do you know a good contractor? So then I asked, you know, and he talks to the electrician that knows the HVAC guy and so on and so forth nothing did I just Google and just pull up a phone number and call it. It was really just from this person to that person, referrals of people that live in the area. I found a general contractor, teamed up with him, and we did a complete gut and rehab on this little cabin. Turned around and put it on Airbnb. So those two platforms, as of 2018, both those cabins have been uh, producing income for me. Um, and then my next step, I guess, kind of in the journey was I wanted something that was more of a true passive income revenue where I wasn't actively investing. So I went multifamily route and I purchased a quadplex with it being R4. I didn't have to use a commercial loan. I could just use a residential loan and I used my VA loan being, being in the army and I house hacked it. I made one unit where I lived and rented out the other three, did that for about six months, moved out of it, and then purchased a single family home that then that's my, that's my primary residence now. But then that, that I had a really, really good interest rate because it was a primary residence for me mm -hmm. and then able to turn that into obviously, obviously an investment stream that's, that's more passive. Awesome. Uh, so a couple things that I want to circle back and touch on the contractors um, when you were going through that process did you, did you have an idea beforehand, like when you first walked through your neighbor's property, once he contacted you and you got to really get a good look, did you have an idea of what you were getting into, like how big a, a load that was going to be, or were you just kind of, you know, getting a good deal and, and you'd figure it out as you go? Man, that's a great question. So um, I always do a home inspection. 
I always do a home inspection. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's a half million dollar house or a $5,000 house. I always do a home inspection. Um, and I've learned as being an agent, walking homes with home inspectors. Um, and if you can, like I always recommend going at the tail end of an inspection, right? Ask the home inspector, hey, for this 2000 square foot house, roughly how long do you think it'll take? He says, okay, three hours. Be Say, okay, perfect. Two and a half hours in, I'm, I'm probably going to swing by and see you. Because you don't want to distract him from doing his job, but you do, he'll be there and say, hey, I'm not going to put this on the report, but this is something to keep in mind. Things like that, that because they're having to put it in a PDF report or something with pictures and all that type of stuff. And sometimes if you can catch them at the home inspection, I highly recommend that. So with that being said, like my neighbor's cabin, he asked me, he's like, well, how much did you buy your cabin for? And I told him 71,000. He said, well, I'd like to get close to 70,000 if possible. I said, well, absolutely. I'd be more than happy to do that. Um, but however, comma, you know, your cabin's in really rough shape and I bought this one and it was fully furnished and it was a turnkey cabin. He said, okay, went back and forth. We went under contract for about 60 K. Um, and then I went ahead and got a home inspection. I made my contract that I wrote contingent on the home inspection. And then that's when we found out the roof leak, the HVAC system did not even work at all. And, uh, there was, the deck was actually pulling away from the cabin, like going down the mountain. Wow. Um, yeah. so that's when we renegotiated on the contract, sold at 50 K and I had that kind of back, you know, so, Hey, look, this is what I'm getting myself into. So I did have an idea, you know what I mean? I wasn't just, uh, shooting blind, um, mm-hmm. because I wanted to obviously set myself up for success. So I always recommend definitely do a home inspection. It's going to, it pays for itself you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really good advice to this home inspection, you know, in the grand, grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of money for, for the peace of mind, you know, like you don't, you could wind up, you know, with an extra $10,000, $15,000, something that you come across, right. When you're going through um, just to save a couple hundred bucks on the front end. So yeah, um, really good there and really good getting the, uh, the referrals. Because if you if you're googling someone and they and they don't do a great job, you know it's really no skin off their back unless you're like a big major player in the area. But if their reputation's on the line, like hey, my friend or my coworker recommended, you know, then there, there's a lot more pressure, even if it's just social pressure, to to do a good job and, and represent well. So, um, yeah, really good there too. So I want to jump to the the fourplex now was that is that in the same area as the cabins or did you pick a different area to uh house hack in so i picked an area close to uh fort campbell kentucky um it's actually in tennessee it's really confusing the uh the base the army base fort campbell it's it's almost like a horseshoe and the majority of it sits in tennessee a majority of the people that work on the base live in Tennessee. It just so happens the post office sits in Kentucky. So I know that's very confusing as, you know, he says Fort Campbell, Kentucky. However, nine times out of 10 people will be living in Clarksville, Tennessee. Um, to put it in reference, uh, it's about an hour north of Nashville. Um, and that's, that's where I ended up uh, purchasing uh, new construction. It was a new construction uh, quadplex. Uh, each unit is a two bedroom, two and a half bath. The thing that's unique about it is because it does have that extra bathroom. So each bedroom upstairs has its own private bathroom and there's a half bath on the main floor. Uh, I kind of worked with the builder on that one um, to 
get it where we had that extra full bath and bump it up a little bit. So my purchase price was a little bit higher than I originally wanted. However, I wanted something in my own market that was going to be a little bit more unique. I necessarily, what it does is it didn't increase what each unit would rent for. However, it did set me apart. So my days on market were way less for vacancies when I put it on the market, because why would someone want to stay in a, you know, for our market, for instance, uh, that would rent for around a thousand a door. Um, if someone's got the opportunity, okay, well, there's this old house or this old quad, it's a two bedroom, one and a half bath. Mine's got the two, two and a half. So, mm-hmm. um, spend a little bit more money on the front end and it, I think it paid off in the long run. Well, it did pay off in the long run. And while all this was going on, while I was doing the purchase of the quad, while I was managing the Airbnbs out in the Smokies, I was also flipping houses with local general contractors. And what that was doing is that was creating Yes, creating money that was capital gains money, but I was able to take that and reinvest it in my properties. Everybody can choose a different point on how much they want to leverage themselves, but I found a point that I was very comfortable at my leverage to where I could start paying down some of my debt. So it was that that happy medium of how can I get that cash flow number monthly that I would like to achieve mm-hmm. in a way that's uh risky but not too risky got it understood so what um what's the sweet spot that you landed on as far as ltv goes like now that you've kind of gone through this journey i might be jumping out a little bit but um knowing what you know now what is the sweet spot that you like for going into a property like that so with the with short-term rentals i like to have them like completely paid off so the short-term rental aspect of it is because the, the volatility of a vacation rental market is very much seasonal. So a lot of people will use annual calculations for a vacation market. They won't use monthly because if you're down in Florida or if you're up in the Smokies or if you're at a ski resort, you're obviously going to have different peak seasons. Right. So it's really hard to calculate at a monthly level. And also like, those properties like they get more damage just i mean people just you're going to have people in and out way more so the the likelihood of things breaking is greatly increased so to offset some of that risk having those properties completely paid off and this is just personal in my opinion is that their cash flow is so much greater um than the long terms whereas the long terms you can leverage yourself more so i look at that as more of like a steam locomotive you know, it's just slow, steady, you know, you've got a property that's gradually gaining appreciation. Your cash flow is, you know, relatively small overall, but they're paying down your mortgage. You're able to offset for your, you know, your tax purposes and is everything. Um, and I also cost segregate my properties as well. I have a CPA that does cost segregation on all my properties. So that's just a really good investment stream that I think that works really well. Again, that's my strategy. It works really well for me. And it was a way to implement it where it's able to get you know, a steady cash flow between the two, the two things. And then I have a single family I kept. Um, it was actually a flip and I was going to sell it. And then I realized with how little I had in the property, I was like, you know what? I might as well just keep this as a long-term rental because that year I was making a lot of 1099 year income with my real estate license while I was still active duty. So I knew my tax burden was going to be really high. Yeah. So I think the key, what really fueled how I invested was the tax strategy involved. At the end of the day, it's like, 
<laughs> Uncle Sam wants his cut, right? So mm -hmm. how can I create a tax strategy that's going to benefit me and then also lower what I'm going to have to pay at the end of the year? So very cool. Uh, so it sounds like you you did everything right and and making good decisions out the gate. Um, you don't hear that a lot, right? Most people have to kind of get bumped on the head a few times to learn these lessons. Did you did you get consulted by you know a tax attorney or CPA or uh, you know really smart friend or did you uh, you know did you do Google University like what was that what was that like for you? So I read one book um, and I've only read one real estate book and it's um, it's called Loopholes of Real Estate Investing. It's actually the tax advisor for Robert Kiyosaki who wrote it. And um, it's the one book I read. I read it really, it was in 2017 when I read it. Um, and that's what I sat down with a notepad and paper. And I was like, okay, so if I'm gonna do this, how am I gonna do it? And I was like, okay, I'm gonna start with a cabin, you know, because that's something, and, and the prices have gone up out there. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if you can find a cabin for under a hundred thousand in, the Smoky Mountains, like, go for it, you know, especially if it's in a rental market, right? So mine are close to Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge. That area right there has over 12,000, or excuse me, 12 million people visit the Smokies every year. And out of that 12 million, over half of them are going through Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. So just understanding your market. And then with Airbnbs, I hear about all this stuff about people talking about Airbnb data, or there's all these different apps that you can use to calculate we could rent it for. Simply the easiest thing to do is log on, not as a host, but log on as a guest, look at the market that you're going to invest in and everything's right there. You can see how, what the vacancy rate is of your competition, how much they're running it for, what are they charging for their cleaning fee? So that's what I did. And then I figured out, okay, based on this, how much do I want to spend on a cabin? And then what type of cabin do I want my clientele? Mine are very small. They're, I market them as like tiny homes, like tiny cabins. They're one bedroom, one bath. It's a honeymooners cabin. They're used all year round. The bigger cabins, in my opinion, you can run into issues with a large cabin, you know, because you'll mm -hmm. have a lot of vacancies besides your holidays. Um, then you're catering more to families or you're catering more to large groups. That's personally not something what I wanted to cater to. And with it being um, where they're at, I honestly enjoy going to them. So if it's something that I would enjoy, looking at your investments, is, if it's something that you would enjoy, obviously someone else would enjoy it as well. Yeah, very good, very good. So you were flipping this whole time too. Are you, um, now that you're out of the rat race, are you still flipping? Like, what are you doing right now? No, I'm not. No, I got out of the flip game. Uh, flipping houses was great, but it was honestly, it was a lot of work. Um, I learned a ton about, uh, about the market, about how to go about it, about how to structure deals. Um, a majority of mine were off market through word of mouth. Uh, I bought one through a wholesaler, but I ended up teaming up with the wholesaler on it. So you know how uh, wholesalers will say, hey, we'll add you to the list or whatnot, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I got added to his list. I got started to build a rapport with him. He was out of Nashville. Uh, this was actually a pr property we purchased in Nashville. And, uh, and it was one where I could see on the numbers that he was going to walk away with an extremely large amount of money on this deal because he as had it under contract. What was that? As a wholesaler. Yeah. Yeah. As a wholesaler, I knew that he had it under contract as like, um, his number was really low and he was actually pretty proud of what he actually got under contract for. 
So um, I said, hey, why don't you just team up with me? I have all the resources to flip this. You know, why don't we just turn around and flip it together and then we'll both clear a ton of money. So we split the profit 50-50. I made way more than if I was going to purchase it from them. I took care of the transaction. We deeded the property in both of our names and then we split our capital gains when we sold it. And then we invoiced our GC, paid him out and walked away. And it was, it was a really, really good deal. So then at that point, I had a wholesaler in Nashville that was truly giving me leads before he ever sent them out on a buyer's list. Mm-hmm. So we ended up teaming up together and flipping houses down in Nashville. And then at the same time, I had a general contractor up in my local market who would contact me and say, hey, listen, I went and just did a quote on this deck. They're getting ready to sell the house. They don't want to list it would you want to team up with me and purchase this house? He's like, it's a really good deal. It's a really nice house. Well, a general contractor, if he's telling me it's got good bones, that's a time where I didn't pay to have a home inspection. I've got a general contractor Mm -hmm. that's walked the attic. He's like, Hey, the spans are X, Y, and Z. We can blow this wall out. We can do this. I can already get the permits from Johnny down at codes. You know I mean? Everything was, I could see in his mind that it was going to be a good deal. The thing we had to do obviously at that point is land, the number with the seller that made sense for us. So I would purchase the properties um, and put the deed in my name and pay cash for them or use a private loan, whatever, depending on leverage. If I'm working in Nashville on a flip and um, my funds are tied up, you know what I mean? Then I would pull like a, a private money loan on it. And then what I would do is he would fund the renovation. I wouldn't pay a dime. He would pay all of his employees. He'd pay for all the materials he'd pay for everything. And then what I would do is I would invoice him his cut plus what uh, it would have cost at the closing. So he's only paying the business tax because it's in my name. Hmm. So see him as a business owner, right? He's not gonna pay capital gains because he didn't purchase the property. The property is hmm. just deeded in my name. One, two, three main streets deeded the price for hundred K. He puts 50 K in the house. We sell it for 200 K. This is an example, you know, we sure, sell it for 200 K. We each clear 25K. Well, um, and let's say it's with the renovations, we're each clearing 50K, right? Or excuse me, 25 each. Then I would just invoice him whatever his uh, cost was plus the 25K. And then he's only paying the business tax because he's just charging, you know, a little bit extra. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would only pay the capital gains on what I have, but I'm not even lifting a hand. He's taking care of everything. I don't have to make sure that nothing's done. All I would do is meet with him at the property. We'd pick out the selections together. And then once we got to a certain stage, I would list the house and then we'd give the option of the, and we'd always sell them before they even um, were completed. So we would close as we complete the property after the appraisal's done. So the great thing about that is we would give three options to people. Um, The cabinet color, the floors and the paint. So they felt like they were getting a brand new home because they're going to pick out those things. And we give them options that were neutral. You know, yeah. they can't pick out the carpet and the camel walls. Yeah. We give them options that we knew if something fell out of contract or their financing fell through, we could still sell the property. Still good. Right. What that does is that gave us an edge because then I had buyers coming to me saying, hey, what do you got that's coming up? We really want to get something with this, this, this. Hmm. Well, then I could cater that with the GC. The GC would meet with them. And it's almost like, a new construction when you meet a foreman or a builder, you know what I mean? So it gave mm-hmm. that kind of that feel where people weren't like, felt like, Oh, well, this is just a, a lipstick job, you know, and they could see the quality that was being put into it as we were doing it. Yeah. Um, 
So we were selling things before they were even hitting the market or we'd hit the market and it would just be on there for a very short amount of time. So mm-hmm. again, structuring those deals is a little bit differently. It's There's ways you can do it like that if you're looking at flipping where you're mm-hmm. not going to have to figure out how you're going to come up with the money. And it can be very, very stressful when you start digging in and moving walls and stuff. You know, the GCs, uh, I love them to death, but they can absolutely, you know, numbers can, can go south real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you always, uh, a lot of these older houses, especially, you don't, you don't know what you're going to find once you pull that drywall down. So, um, so what, uh, what do things look like going forward? Do you have um, something you have in mind you're looking to do? Or are you going to, you know, go play golf? Like, what does retirement look like for Bryce? Oh, man, so retirement's been great so far. It's been a solid six months now. Um, I ride adventure bike. So I've done um, nine states on the Trans-American Trail. I'm going to end up doing the entire thing next year. Um, I'm heading out this winter to go snowboarding for two months between uh, the Eastern Seaboard, going to hit Stowe, Okemo up in Vermont, and then head out to Colorado for another month. Um, I purchased a a van that's, you know, an off-grid little Winnebago Mm -hmm. Rebel uh, Mercedes Sprinter van. So I've been traveling around in that thing quite a bit. between the, the bike, I'm taking it down to uh, Peru and then south all the way down to Argentina and then all the way up to the Arctic Circle uh, in two years. So really just, um, I, I'm a really passionate about wakeboarding as well. I've got a wakeboarding boat, quite a few friends that love wakeboarding, uh, snowboarding in the winter time. I also do drifting. Um, so I've got a 350Z uh, local grassroots drift events on the weekends. Um, I'm helping a buddy with his solar business. Uh, solar's become, you know, something that's kind of everybody's been intrigued in. Mm-hmm. So I have a, I'm kind of helping with a startup um, with a local company to create a solar business. Um, I'm not, don't necessarily have a role as far as a, a, an actual position I'm filling or any money I'm really making. It's just one of those where it's, it's lucrative and if it turns into something awesome, if not, it's not a huge deal. Yeah. So that's kind of what it's, it's looking like moving forward. And then obviously, you know, uh, talking to people like yourself and then helping people with real estate. Um, it's truly a passion of mine. So still having my license active, you know, I, I do uh, contracts here and there and, uh, and help people out with, with their own investments. And it's really nice because then I'm not having to compete with them. You know, I'm not on the market where I'm trying to find that next good deal. I can pass those on to people that I work with. So uh, yeah. that's, that's truly been a blessing as well. This has been great, Bryce. Thank you for uh, sharing this story. How can uh, people get a hold of you if they want to or, or learn more? Yeah, absolutely. So probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is email. Um, my email, and I'll go ahead and share it over the, the podcast with everybody. It's St. Clair Bryce at Gmail, and that's S-T-C-L-A-I-R-B-R-Y-C-E at Gmail. Okay, excellent. Thanks again, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of Skyline Views with Chris Mills. We hope you found this valuable and useful. Feel free to share it with friends or family that could benefit as well. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. We really appreciate it. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Connect with us through thehaneycompany.com. See you next time. The information provided in this episode is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties.
Skyline views the Haney Company, their employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are advised to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant for the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicative of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Christopher Mills is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisor representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Neither Coastal Equities Incorporated nor Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated is affiliated with Skyline Views or the Haney Company. Advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, a U.S. SEC registered investment advisor, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801.